There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Keeping dogs properly and responsibly. That's what we're trying to do. We can't do it anymore. I was so angry listening to him. A hundred euro is all we'll get, basically, for our baby. Between the jazz and Christmas, you know, you could slip in a bank holiday in, you know, late November, early December. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ. Good morning. Thank you to Gareth and uh, to Paul for the last couple of days. Greatly appreciated, lads. Uh, We were down west. I'll tell you more about it uh, during the morning. In fact, it relates a little bit to a story that I will be doing uh, later this morning about the number of hotels, guest houses, and other such accommodation that have been taken out of the system uh, to accommodate uh, people from overseas and we must look after them we must take good care of them and all of that but in doing so we also have to be cognizant of what effect that is happening on the tourism industry shall we say that's also coming up also I, I, I mentioned Paul and thank you so much to Paul for the last couple of days but today is a very significant day for our friend Paul. Paul Bourne celebrates 25 years today as Southern Correspondent of Virgin Media News or indeed what it was back then at TV3 News. So Paul will chat about the, the highlights I suppose and the lowlights and the things he remembers and things he'd rather forget from those last uh, 25 years on the telly. But I want to start this morning with a story that I was following across the weekend and the last couple of days while I was away. A very shocking story about a man who, I would have to say, both myself and the Queen Bee would have been interested in him. Not fans as such, although we would have both read his book, his biography, or his life story, his autobiography, My Bookie Wook. We would both have read it. I think she'd have read it first and then encouraged me to read it because it was funny and interesting and brilliantly written, I would have to say, back in the day. Uh, But there was always just something about him that I didn't like him stand up. I couldn't understand uh, why he was a Hollywood star because I never thought much of him as an actor, but he was a character. He was fun on radio. He was very edgy on radio. Very, very edgy. 
you know, <laughs> like the kind of stuff that you, you, we, we would, we, if we were interviewing him for even for this show, if you were interviewing him, you'd pre-record him. Like he could be very edgy and very, very iffy. But over the last few days, things have emerged about, and you know, I'm speaking of Russell Brand um, dispatches on Channel Four, probably one of the most respected investigative journalistic programs out there. When dispatches do something, they do it well. And they do it in detail. And they spend a lot of time doing it. And they've been working along with the Times and the Sunday Times on this story for the last number of years. I would say the bones of two years. Uh, putting together a documentary which ran in the last few days and I've watched it, kind of skim through it and then watched it again last night in detail. This is where four women have alleged sexual assaults against Russell Brand while he was a presenter for the BBC, for Channel 4 and while he was acting in Hollywood films. And they have made a range of accusations from rape to controlling behaviour to abuse. Now he denies all of this and said the relationships have all been consensual. This was a joint lengthy investigation as I said between Channel 4 and the Sunday Times and the Times. One assumes, as one must in these things, that it has been legaled up the wazoo, um, as you would have to, to publish something like this. However, Russell Brand stands accused of much, but stands convicted of nothing. Let's take up the conversation from where Dispatches and the Sunday Times left it and let's push the social media stuff aside because whatever you want to find on social media you'll find let me talk with alex dibble of uh, talk radio who joins me live alex good morning and thanks for taking my call what do we know and what don't we know and what do we know for sure after four years of work by channel four and the times good morning good morning pj yeah i mean uh I, I work in the building with the Times and Sunday Times, work for Times Radio as well. So this story really has been dominating conversation in our office as the journalists who broke it have been going to and fro, uh, doing uh, interviews and updating the story and everything. What they have discovered is that, as you say, four women have accused Russell, Russell Brand of uh, rape and sexual assaults between 2006 and 2013. So when he was really at the height of his fame. And then other women have accused him of abusive and controlling behavior. Now, since the story broke on Saturday evening, more women have come forward to the Times and the Sunday Times making more allegations against Russell Brand. Now, the newspapers are, are verifying those stories at the moment and um, doing everything that they did with the original women that they spoke to to make sure that they are in a position to publish these fresh allegations, uh, but it's really snowballing even in the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. How much of this information has been brought to the attention of the police? Well, the police say they are aware of the reporting by Channel 4's dispatches, Times and the Sunday Times, um, and they first spoke to the, the broadcaster and the newspapers on Saturday. But in the hours after the story emerged. The Metropolitan Police in London say they received a report from a woman who got in touch with them to say that she was sexually assaulted by Russell Brand in 2003. 
And this was in central London, in the Soho area of central London. Now, what's interesting about that is that 2003 is before the 2006 to 2013 period that the four women who were involved in the story originally uh, were alleging um, claims against Russell mm-hmm. Brand. So it looks like this woman may be a, a, a different woman uh, to those who were included in the original story, and the police are looking into it, but no sort of formal investigation has yet been launched by the police, but they have received that report. Okay. Now, his employers, past and present, BBC, Channel 4, what's been their reaction, Alex? Yeah, so the BBC are investigating um, who knew what and when about Russell Brand. Were reports received uh, by um, the HR department? Uh, how were they handled and, and what was done? Um, so they are looking into that. And actually, the director general of the BBC in a Q&A with staff just yesterday uh, said that he has actually re-watched and re-listened to some of Russell Brand's broadcasts for the BBC um, back in the sort of late noughties. And he, he said that he even he finds that it's unacceptable what the kind of stuff Russell Brown was saying on air, and he's not quite sure how it was allowed to be broadcast in the first place. Um, so that's what the BBC is doing. Um, Channel 4, similar, uh, their chief executive says that they are looking into uh, whether reports were received at the time and how they were handled. And then other employers... Uh, no doubt, doing doing the same thing. So everybody's looking into whether anybody made allegations against him, who they had those conversations with and how they were handled. One question that arose for me, Alex, watching the dispatches twice and being in this business a few years, as you are yourself, um, a lot of Russell Brand's content for BBC in particular would have been pre-recorded. You'd wonder how many sets of ears had it passed through before it went to air. Yes, I mean, it's difficult that, isn't it? Because TV programs are the vast majority of them. Um, His radio shows, though, for example, with BBC Radio 2 and Six Music, um, slightly different story. So, you know, what is said in a live environment, as you're aware, very different um, to to what is said pre-recorded. But absolutely, that that is a question. Um, I suppose there's, there's a distinction between kind of crude um, and for many people's ears, unacceptable humour um, and and the kind of stuff that he was doing allegedly um, off camera and off microphone um, when the cameras weren't rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, listening as I do a lot over the weekend, um, Alex, to, to British media, uh, the, the government don't seem to be interested in this, or at least they're not saying anything, the relevant government ministers, are they? They're saying little. So Steve Barclay, who's a cabinet minister, um, was on Times Radio actually yesterday and and encouraging the BBC to be transparent about whatever they find as uh, part of their investigation. Um, And he also encouraged other employers to check their records to see whether uh, they received any reports years ago about Russell Brand. So that's what one cabinet minister has said. But the government as a whole, you're right, has not been really making comment on this. And politically, it's quite difficult because the government is anti-regulation, um, in general, across industries, and particularly, I suppose, with the media, um, who they are wary of and wary of upsetting. So um, it's unlikely that they're going to, you know, dive in and get really their hands dirty on this. But Parliament could be different. 
So um, the chair of the Culture, Media and Sport Committee um, of Parliament has already written to the BBC and Channel 4 to say, you know, and other, and other broadcasters as well, um, to say, what are you doing to ensure that a culture of misogyny and a culture um, of abuse is not allowed to exist and not allowed to permeate? Mm. Uh, so she is waiting to hear back from them. And, and, you know, do not be surprised if you see a select committee hearing um, of the Culture, Media and Sport Committee with the heads of those broadcasters called to give evidence. Because, in fairness, Alex, the, the entertainment industry increasingly is being seen as not a nice place to be a woman, shall we say. Yes, and, and it's, you know, huge questions for the entertainment industry. And, you know, I, I was particularly interested by comments from a comedian called Lucy Beaumont, um, which were made a few months ago, but have sort of been re-listened to with fresh ears in the last couple of days. Um, when she said that in the entertainment industry, there are probably 15 predatory men and things have happened to her and other female uh, comedians and other female workers in the entertainment industry where in any other workplace, she said, you would go to HR, mm. but there is none. <laughs> and, and that's a real big question because these programs are often made by external production companies for the broadcasters. And therefore, you know, if something happens to you um, whilst involved in, in the production of that program, who do you go to and, and who do you say? And also, if there is somebody who's abusing their position of power um, on multiple different programs, then how do those production companies join the dots um, without talking to each other, which would be inappropriate for them to do? Mm. So, you know, lots and lots of big, big questions and how women are kept safe in the industry. Now, the response from his side, his lawyers, and I'm reading here from the Times, uh, the Sunday Times, his lawyers initially didn't comment because they said, and I quote from the paper, a large litany of questions had been posed. They were not happy with the anonymizing of the names of the women. They said this was deliberate and a preconceived strategy aimed at damaging their client. They accused the publication of being a concerted campaign and that said their client believes there's a deeply concerning agenda to all this because he's an alternative media broadcaster competing with mainstream media. There has been no full response from his lawyers. He did broadcast a statement on his YouTube but his, his, he has very loyal followers who are staying loyal. Yes, and, and it's worth saying, of course, that as everybody knows, that he is not any longer a mainstream um, media sort of personality in the sense that he was before. He's not in Hollywood films anymore. He's not on television very often. He is now on YouTube and on Rumble, which is this sort of alternative video sharing broadcasting streaming platform and the kind of things he's saying now um on the, in these videos that rishi sunak is a stooge for the world economic forum and things like this um attract a certain type of follower a certain type of viewer and they are likely to remain loyal to him um and and people have to be realistic about that mm. he is a multi-millionaire from the from his success but this is hurting him financially um, he was making a small fortune off youtube that's been blocked and and other financial avenues have been closed too yeah that's right and and, and that's what we've seen over the last couple of days so youtube have said that um, they blocked his monetization on his at the videos which means that essentially he can't make money from videos on YouTube. Um, last night, Acast, uh, the world's biggest private podcasting platform, um, did the same. Uh, and then also his comedy gigs that he is, he's in the middle of a stand-up tour, those have been postponed. 
So yeah, all his his revenue streams are being cut off one by one. And uh, it looks like what he'll have left is Rumble, as I I mentioned, um, Mm. because that was set up specifically on a sort of free speech basis and, uh, and it would seem like he's going to be able to continue on Rumble. One, one comment I saw on social over the weekend, Alex, lastly, was that this is cancellation without conviction. Fair comment? It's a really interesting one, isn't it? It's a really, really interesting one. Um, I think, well, well, well certainly, if, if you take the bare words of that statement, it is true because he has not been convicted of a, of a criminal offence. And, and it is, um, you know, doubtful at the moment whether a criminal offence has taken place simply because of the age of the women involved uh, and also if he is true that his relationships are consensual, it might be difficult to prove in a court of law, but, but that's not for anybody to, to speculate about. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but yes, um, I think many people would who know the industry and have been around it might say, okay, yes, no conviction, but that doesn't mean that somebody hasn't behaved in a way that is not right. Well, um, and, and, uh, and, and that's for everyone to unpick in the industry as a whole. It reminds me of another cleverer choice of words, Alex, that I use from time to time. If nine people are telling you you're dead, you should consider lying down. <laughs> Thank you for the advice. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, a pleasure speaking to you. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Alex Dibble of Talk Radio, dealing, if we can, only with the facts with regard to Russell Brand. I hope you have watched Dispatches. It's on the Channel 4 player. Give it an hour of your time. Uh, do as I do, or as I did, and myself and the Queen Bee did. Go into it with an open mind. As I said, we were... At one point, we wouldn't have been fans, but we'd certainly have watched him with interest. We'd have enjoyed him on television. Uh, we'd have enjoyed the lunacy backstage at, at Big Brother, certainly. Um, and I did enjoy, and I must dig it out and read it again, his book, My Bookie Book, which was very, 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 very funny, as you'd expect. But... That having been said, it told stories that when you look back at them now and read them again, you think, uh-uh... Uh-uh. Your thoughts on Russell Brand. Um, let us not have a trial by media, but if you have thoughts on Russell Brand, uh, I'd welcome them at 0818 96 96 96. It's a story we will follow because he was incredibly popular here in Ireland as well. Remember he appeared on The Late Late Show with Pat Kenny. There was clips of that <laughs> resurfaced over the weekend and poor Pat with the best will in the world, poor Pat didn't quite know what to make of what was sitting in front of him that night on the late, late. 0818 96 96 96. Coming up, the Gardaí have a man in custody. He's in custody on remand at Cork Prison. But they have absolutely no idea who he is. It's a strange story. It's ongoing. Talk about it next. 0818-9696-96.
with Izzy Showbizzy. On Courts 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 pm where I can guarantee you lots of requests. Hey, Izzy Showbizzy. Can you play Beyonce? Love on top, please. Awesome. The occasional sing song. Return, I try to fly. I fall without my wings. And a message from my mother. Hello, Isabel. It's your mother here. It's lovely to hear you're back on the radio. She's the only person that gets away with calling me Isabel. Join me weekdays from 4 pm. The Big Drive Home. You can drive me home. With Izzy Show Busy. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. So a man was arrested down at the passport office last week and brought before Cork District Court on charges of trying to secure a passport in the name of somebody who died in 1953. So that's what he's before the court for. What's even more odd about this is that we have absolutely no idea who he actually is. And again, I was following this over the last couple of days while I was off. Olivia Kelleher is in the courts uh, following it for us as well. Olivia, is that true? Am I right? The guards have absolutely no idea who this man is who is in custody at the moment. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, it's quite mysterious. Um, and basically, Gardaí are saying that they do not know who they have in custody. This was first reported in the Irish Examiner last Friday. A man who had given the name Philip Frank Morris appeared before Cork District Court. He'd been arrested in the passport office in South Mall um, the previous day. And last Friday in Cork District Court, he was charged with two offences relating to alleged providing false or misleading information in order to obtain a passport. Detective Garda Porter Canley of the Garda National Bureau of Criminal Investigation uh, told the court that this elderly man allegedly used the name of a baby, Philip Frank Morris. This baby was born in 1952, Mm -hmm. but subsequently died. And this name was being used to apply for a passport in Cork. Detective Garda Hanley told Judge Olin Kelleher that when they questioned the man, he said he was living in Cork and he needed the passport to leave the country. Mm-hmm. But he also said that the man did not assist uh, Gardaí in any way. Uh, he told the court that the man held an Irish passport for three decades, but only recently obtained um, a PPS number. So basically, um, Judge Kelleher remanded the man with the name of Philip Morris, age 70, in Mm -hmm. custody until yesterday. And he appeared in court yesterday by video link. Uh, Detective Garda Hanley again gave evidence. Um, He said that they have made inquiries both internally and internationally with Interpol all over the world. He also told the judge that they'd spoken to the brother of the late Philip Morris, who died at the age of four months Mm -hmm. in the 1950s. So he said in evidence, we do not know who this gentleman is. We're making inquiries internally and with Interpol. And he said that they have a raft of inquiries going on at this stage. The man in custody is not Philip Frank Morris. He died at four months old. We've interviewed his brother. 
Um, at that point, um, he, this man, who we still don't know who he is, he's being represented by solicitor Frank Boschimer. Mm-hmm. And Frank Boschimer was trying to ascertain how long do you think the inquiries will take because his client is in custody. And he said his client wasn't in, in the first flush of youth uh-huh. in terms of being remanded. And Detective Hanley said they just couldn't give any timeline as to when they'll identify the person in custody. He said it could be tomorrow, it could be two weeks. And he also said, I feel there will be further charges as well. The number of things, Olivia, that come up here, uh, starting down at the passport office, do do we know what aroused their suspicion in the first place? No, we haven't been privy to what aroused their suspicion, what investigation occurred that led to this point of an elderly man with a passport, I mean, this man has had a passport in this name for three decades, being arrested in in, in the passport office. It's quite mysterious, but nothing has emerged as as of yet. Judge Kelleher uh, remanded the man in custody to be appear before the court again on October 3rd. So I suppose more details will emerge in, in time, PJ. And the man is facing um, two, two, two charges that he allegedly provided information for the issue of a passport which was false or misleading and which he knew or believed were false or misleading. It is utterly fascinating. We absolutely have no idea Absolutely no idea who this man is. Um, The man appeared by video link, elderly looking man. After that, nobody knows what the story is. For now, it's a mystery, but Gardaí are liaising with Interpol all over the world to determine who this man is. Olivia, we will follow this one with with some interest. It's got Dear the Jackal and other things like that written all over it. Thank you. Thanks very much, PJ. Take care. Cheers, Liv. Yeah, Day of the Jackal, fine book. I read it, ah, it's 100 years since I read the Day of the Jackal now, but at the centre of it is identity and forged identity and all of that. And Frederick Forsyth, who wrote that book, admitted in an interview with the Mail to mark the 50 years of its publication, um, he, he admitted that at one point while he was researching the book, he went away and he got a name from a graveyard and he applied for the passport for a passport in the name of a little boy called James Oliver Duggan. And he put all the paperwork together, and he actually managed to get the passport. Now, he never used it, obviously, but it was part of the plot for his book. <laughs> and he researched it by actually doing it, which is what a good writer would do anyway, good research. But, yeah, so it's been done. There's another great Netflix show which I just finished watching last week called Who is Erin Carter? It's only a seven-part limited series. I don't see a series two in the offing, although where it leaves us, you could have a season two. But it's about a just... I won't want to spoil it for you if you've watched it. It's worth a watch, if only for the sheer beauty of uh, the filming. But it's about a woman living as a school teacher and mother of one in Barcelona. With a strange background. She has a very strange background. Um, I won't spoil it for you. But it's full of action. It's quite violent. It's, there's some great twists in it. Some super twists in it. Um, but where she got her name, it was from a list of dead people. That's all I'll tell you. Where she got her name was from a list of dead people. 
0818969696. Oh, that's a fascinating one. On Russell Brand, Kevin says, each accusation of impropriety against him will be investigated. That should be done, and that is fair. However, at the end of the day, Russell Brand has been exposing YouTube, COVID-19 vaccinations, Davos, and the World Economic Forum, among other things. It was and is similar to what happened to Alex Salmond. He was investigated after he started highlighting things the establishment didn't like. And he was acquitted of all charges of sexual assault also. Thank you, Kevin. 0818969696. Well, as Alex Dibble said, and we'll podcast the interview with our talk radio colleague, Alex Dibble. We'll podcast that interview later. If there's anything we're not talking I always say this, but I say this from time to time, I should say it more. Anything we're not talking about that you think we should be, that's how you get us. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. You're going to start a conversation about something that you think we should be talking about. You can also pop us a text or WhatsApp or voice note to 083 because we like you to join the conversation, but we also invite you to start it. I was... On Shirkin Island on Sunday, um, and my next topic of conversation actually brought this very much to mind. We were in Shirkin on Sunday, and I hadn't been to Shirkin in the bones of 20 years. And the Queen Bee had never been there. And it was a lovely morning down in Baltimore. We were sitting in the square having a coffee and contemplating what we do with our day. And the ferry was up by the dock, and I said, you know what we'll do? Will we bugger off over to Shirkin for the afternoon. Uh, And the Shirkin Ferry, by the way, the Shirkin Ferry takes free travel. And my boy has free travel. So we went off over for a return trip to Shirkin. We spent about four hours over there, had a lovely day, walked around for miles, went and found the beaches and it's 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 little corner of, of, of heaven is Shirkin. And the weather was beautiful. The sun didn't quite come out. If it had we'd have been in the in the twenties, it was lovely. Herself said to me, why don't we come over here sometime and stay? Book in somewhere, if there's anywhere to book in, book in for a night or even two nights and just explore this little island properly. I thought, what a wonderful idea. And we can bring the dogs. The dogs would absolutely love it over there. There is a hotel. There's one hotel on Shirkin. And it is currently occupied by Ukrainians. And I was having a pint in the Jolly Roger at the end of our walk. And I was just inquiring about the hotel. And I said, is that a hotel over there? The girl said it is. And she said, it's been, it's got on a contract from the government at the moment with the Ukrainian refugees. And, I thought, there, and there isn't anywhere else to stay on the island, at least that I could find. So it just brought the next topic of conversation to mind. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Are there now too many hotels taken up by uh, assisting those fleeing war in Ukraine um, because the tourism industry is certainly starting to push back a little. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie Quarks 96 FM Oldies and Irish on Quarks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 
2pm. With Cork Simon, do you want to leave a legacy to the city you love? Find out more about leaving a gift in your will at corksimon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Owen O'Mara Walsh from the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation is the chief executive. Owen, we, we would say that, look, these people are coming from a war situation. They, they need our help and we, we give them our help. But the tourism industry is starting to suffer as a result of the help given. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're dead right. It's, it's, it's a tricky thing to talk about in many ways because it's, it's only right and proper that Ireland is as generous as possible in terms of a, a humanitarian response to the Ukraine war. But we would argue, and we've argued for some time, that the government is over-reliant on hotels and guest houses and B&Bs, effectively uh, tourism accommodation stock. They're over-reliant on that. And, and one in five tourism bedrooms now nationally right around the country is contracted to the government for either Ukrainian refugees or international asylum seekers. And that has a significant knock-on impact on downstream tourism businesses. So the likes of um, restaurants or pubs or tourist attractions or activity centers who rely on tourists being in their locality, they're seriously missing out on tourism business through no fault of their own. So we've argued for some time that the government has to have a much more balanced approach to dealing with refugees and asylum seekers and not to be as over-dependent on hotels and guest houses, mm. but use all other forms of accommodation because this, after all, tourism is the largest indigenous industry. I mean, you, you mentioned Shirkin Island there. There's very little other economic activity on swathes of the Wild Atlantic Way, uh, but for but for tourism. So we have to look after the sector. And, and, and the Ukraine war isn't going to end today or tomorrow. It's going to be with us on sadly for two, three, four years. Even if the war magically ended tomorrow, these poor people don't have homes to go back to. So they're going to be here for some time. Mm-hmm. And, and we would Argue, we would argue that hotels and guest houses and, and, and tourism accommodation providers should play their part by all means, but not to the extent that it is at the moment. In Cork, do you have an, a number off the top of your head, Owen, as what, what percentage I, of our hotels in Cork? It's it's very difficult to, to, to give an exact number. It's about one in five, about 20% of all, all tourism bedrooms um, in Cork is contracted to the government. So that's about 13% of what's called registered accommodation and 7% of non-registered tourism accommodation is unavailable to the tourism economy. So, so you know, there, there's, there's pockets of the country um, where, you know, tourism towns without adequate tourism beds and therefore who have had very little tourism activity this summer – and that, you know, that has a serious economic consequence on the locality and on the region. So, so we, we are strongly urging government to, to come up with a plan B. By all means, use a certain number of hotels and guest houses on a short-term basis. Because let's, let's, let's also remember that, you know, a family, you know, fleeing a, a war, the idea of them being cooped up in a hotel bedroom night after night after night after night mm. is, is not particularly good for them. So there needs to be a much more balanced approach, modular housing, state institutions, vacant vacant buildings, unused dwellings. You know, there's lots of other forms of accommodation. But at the moment, the Department of Children, who are tasked with this, are simply going out there and contracting with um, hotels and guest houses. And my fear is that, 
you know, now that we're heading into the winter months, which is the traditionally quieter tourism period in terms of international visitors and even the domestic market, more and more hotels and guest houses will be attracted mm-hmm. by government contracts because, mm-hmm. of course, they get 100% occupancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a good rate. Quiet winter months at a good rate. Um, but the knock-on impact is really severe and profound uh, for local economies. Mm. Um, and that's my big fear. And, and uh, you know, I, I keep going back to the point that we should do our bit and we'll step up to the plate. I mean, our view, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation did a report on this quite some time ago. And our view was about 12, 13% of all the tourism accommodation stock could be given over to government for this purpose. But anything more than that was hugely problematic. And now mm. we're up to 20%. And my fear is that it's just going, it's going up more because obviously the war is going on and refugees are continuing to come into the country. Mm. A place I'm very familiar with, Owen, is Killarney. I'd visit there maybe a half a dozen times yeah. a year. And of late, many of the most popular hotels are uh, contracted to the government. And I was asking a Halloween who lives down there, you know, what's it, what's it feel like for the, for the economy? He said, well, look, he said, the hotels are full. So the hoteliers yeah. are happy. They're paid up and plenty of money coming in. But there's not as many people in the restaurants. There's not as many people in the bars. A lot of the traditional music sessions that would take the ho- take up the hotel bars, they're not happening. Yeah, there is no spend. Exactly, exactly. Because you know, obviously, Ukrainians or even international asylum seekers, they obviously you know are not going to spend like 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 a tourist. They don't have the means at, at all. So the Jarvis, the cultural experience, uh, Mukras House, the visitor attractions, they all miss out. And you know, there's pockets of the country as they say which are huge like so you know I was in Listunvarna not so long ago Listunvarna I think has about six hotels in County Clare has about six hotels they're all contracted to the government so the, the town literally uh, has no um, sense of 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 economic life because of course it's a tourism town so it, it, it's you'd a have to ask the question on how that was take Listunvarna there's a prime example uh, and you said there's six hotels all contracted now how did that get to happen like did your confederation have any say in in that happening like six all the hotels in one place contracted yeah no yeah and one of the problems i think is that this is being managed and uh, um and and dealt out of the department of children and because they look after the the you know the the refugee influx and so on and and, you know they're absolutely snowed under they're utterly overwhelmed and and they literally just pick up the phone or or do a deal with with even the department of tourism even fulcher ireland the state agency for tourism doesn't have line of sight Mm. of what's going on until it's already in place. Yeah, and is it is it the, the kind of situation known that the government will ring a hotel let let let's not pick a place or not pick a name. The government will yeah. call the hotel and say, "Look, you've got you've got 40 rooms. Uh, we'll fill those for the next 18 months at your yeah. going rate starting yeah. first of the next month." They're doing that. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a going rate. There's a set rate. I don't okay. know off the top of my head what it is, but it's over a hundred euro per per refugee. You know, you know, for for winter months, it's 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 not unattractive. Yeah. And remember, these these hotels are facing into November, December, January, February when business is quiet. Yeah. And here they are with hundred percent occupancy. So it's quite attractive if you're a a, a local hotelier to go right. I will sign up for sure. the But it, you're right. If if it's a if it's a and some of these contracts are eighteen months. I've heard of two year contracts, and effectively the tourism landscape. Is, is altered, therefore, because the, the, the bedstock of a particular region is completely undermined. So it's, 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 it's not an easy solution, but, but one of the solutions we've always said is that this is so, so, so significant an issue. And remember, 
Ireland's largest indigenous industry, biggest regional employer. I mentioned before, you know, there's not FDI, there's not manufacturing in, in parts of, of, of particularly the Wild Atlantic Way, you know, so therefore tourism matters. We think this should be managed out of the Department of Taoiseach and there needs to be a whole of government approach to, to this um, and, and a much more creative, balanced approach needs to be taken. Mm. So, if hotels are being used, they should be dispersed and distributed throughout the country, but also there needs to be other forms of accommodation used because um, it, it, it's, it's just too severe. Yeah. We, we launched a, a kind of a strategy for the tourism sector out to 2030, and we're, and we're quite optimistic mm. in terms of growth and potential and, and the attractiveness of Ireland and our wonderful heritage and culture and, you know, the beautiful landscape and stuff and great connectivity into the island now. All that sort of, So there's every reason to be uh, positive, but then there's these huge handbrakes on growth. So if, if 20% or more of the bedroom stock is gone from a country, there's only so much you can actually grow. And of course, mm. the balance of the rooms therefore become more expensive for the international tourist or the domestic holiday maker. That hurts everybody. Supplies, demand and supply is completely out of sync. So that hurts everyone. So it's, it's a big issue um, and, it, and it re, it's, it's one that needs to be addressed. I mean, I mean, the industry have been shouting about it for quite some time now. Um, a lot of the hotel sector is very uncomfortable with it as well because they're they're tourism providers at, at heart. Like you, you mentioned that the hotel in Shirkin, you know, it's, it's nearly not a hotel anymore. Mm. It's a refugee center or it's a, you know, it, it's nearly been reconstituted out of the tourism economy. Um, and the danger is it might stay out. And then, and then where does, where, you know, what happens to tourism on, on that particular yeah. Uh, island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lastly, Owen, you, you do get the pushback. When you talk in, in these terms, you get pushback against your industry that says, oh, they use the R word, racism. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with that because I know that, you know, in, in many ways, the tourism and hospitality sector and the accommodation sector have actually been the first to reach out because they've, as soon as the government came calling way back when this started, which is what, 18 months ago now or something, they, the, 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 the sector immediately turned around and said, Give, give, you know, give us your, 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 your refugees. We will look after them. You know, subject to a uh, remuneration and stuff. But I, I think it's got to a point now where we just have to be very, very careful that we don't skew and damage uh, one of the very important economic sectors uh, in the country, such as tourism. Uh, we have to be just very mindful of, of, of nurturing it. And we'll do our bit, as I say, 12%, 13% of all accommodation stock. I think, we, you know, we've done a kind of various mm. um, um, you know, models on this. About 12 or 13% could be contracted to the government on an ongoing basis, but we need to leave the remaining 85%, 86 87% mm. for tourism purposes because it's a bit like taking, imagine if, if you know, it's 20% of beds have gone at the moment. Imagine taking 20% of cranes out of construction sites or taking, you know, 20% of, you know, machines out of some sort of assembly line. Like it, it'll, it'll have a profound impact on that particular okay. sector. Um, and I just think, I just think there's an over-dependency at the moment on, on hotels and guest houses. Right. And I think it needs to be distributed in, in a much fairer way. All right. Owen, thank you. Owen Amara Walsh, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation. He is their chief executive. 20%, one in five hotel rooms, guest house rooms, etc., etc., across Cork. Currently occupied uh, under contract from the government by either Ukrainian refugees or uh, international asylum seekers. And we know that the Ukrainians need help. We know that. Um, and, and there's no one saying they shouldn't be welcomed into the country. At least I'm not saying it. I won't stand over anybody else saying it either. But, but, 
the hotels are suffering, are starting to suffer as a result in the industries. The new tourism, says this call, the new tourism is Airbnb, which the government is cracking down on. It suits people and the way they holiday now. It helps people out the country to make ends meet. The government has taken away all the cottage industries like taxis, pubs and now Airbnb so people can move forward in life and they've heavily regulated them and ruined them as income opportunities. An awful lot of people were depending on Airbnb to renovate their houses with energy retrofitting. The government doesn't listen to ordinary people. They only deal with vested interests. Can I point out that several TDs were involved in large B&Bs and hotels that gained from the Ukrainian refugees? That's absolutely fine, but they shouldn't shut us out. If they helped people to start Airbnbs and supported them, instead of punishing them, they could take the pressure off the tourism market. Ukrainians could be helped by the large hotels and it would probably all balance out more or less. And this, in fairness, there's thousands of people in this country now. We don't know who they are. 96 FM is too far left, and I doubt this will be read out. Little hint for you. If you want something to be read out, put in, I doubt this will be read out. Uh, Let's get a reality check. Look up what Nordic countries are paying to refugees and how many they look took in compared to us, and they're nearer to Ukraine than we are. Thank you for your point. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. <laughs> Wait a second text from that number. It says, thank you for reading out my text. I have to get up off the floor. This is the person who said 96M was too far left to read out the text. I, I said before and I'll say it again. Unless, if you really want your text read out, um, tell us we won't read it out. And unless it defames somebody, uh, we will. Just to annoy you, if nothing else. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text or WhatsApp, 083 396 96 96. And the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Sitting across from me is a man, you and I, Paul Bourne, have worked together, I would say, on and off. On and off for, for, for nearly 40 years, I'm almost afraid to admit it. That's right, 40 years ago we, we would have started Empire's Radio, you and I. Uh, I was under the name at the time Paul Davis. You were Tony Black. Or Tony Henry. Tony Henry. I changed between uh, them, yeah. Uh, we used to be dodging the uh, taxman with different names. You know, we change well, our names every month on Empire's Radio. There was no Empire point Radio. in dodging the taxman. We weren't getting paid for half it anyway, you know. <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't worried about that. But Paul, no, um, welcome <coughs> and occasional presenter of this programme, of course, but 25 years today, 25 years ago today, became the Southern Correspondent of what is then TV3 and is now Virgin Media News. Was news always what you wanted to do, Yonfla? No. Um, I got into news by accident. I always loved comedy. And I was very, very heavily involved in a lot of stage work, shows and cabarets, uh, you know, bars and lounge venues around the country. But um, when I was working in 96FM, 
back maybe 35 years, 30, mm. 35 years ago, um, I was on Sticker Patrol. I'd do the odd show here and there. Uh, I was out doing the promotions. But I started getting involved in news with Barry O'Mahony in the newsroom. At the time, there was three men missing from a Cork address, Cahill mm-hmm. O'Brien, uh, Patrick O'Driscoll and Cahill Ball, or Cahill O'Brien and uh, Kevin Ball. And... I became very interested in the story and Barry and myself, you know, we worked on it um, around the clock really and it came to the situation where I found where Dennis uh, Patrick O'Driscoll had been buried and unfortunately those who had killed the man had moved the body. It's a long, long story and mm. I, I, I know lots and lots of people know about it and I really developed a taste for news after that and thankfully Barry O'Mahony gave me a chance to go out and do some reporting uh, from time to time and it just took off from there so mm-hmm. maybe I might be doing comedy in the Grand Parade Hotel on a Monday and Delacy House on a Tuesday and then I was doing serious news reporting on a yeah. Wednesday at 96FM but thankfully thankfully uh, people accepted me for that because sometimes you say how can he be a credible reporter if he's doing the mm. funny man on a Monday or a Tuesday but look it, it, it's worked <laughs> I've, uh, I've bluffed so far <laughs> you, you, you know? had done some television as well hadn't you yeah I worked in multi-channel television for many many years uh, I you know, I always considered pirate radio and multi-channel television like the force of broadcasting. You know, you had to mm. cut your teeth somewhere. And it was invaluable uh, training. It was fantastic. And I really, really got again to see both sides of the, the world in, in multi-channel television. There are two sides to life, I think, when you're, when you're out and about reporting, you see many, many things. And like, eventually, I landed the job in what was then TV3 and uh, 25 years ago today we came on air and uh, we did my very very first report uh, and the first of many over the last 25 years It was a murder or It, it was actually um, a, a teenager who was stabbed to death and I covered that story, uh, it was a killing the person wasn't convicted of murder the person was convicted of killing and unfortunately in the last 25 years I have seen close to 100, 70, 80, 90, 100 murders. Many of them children and absolutely devastating. I think we're living in a world that's drink and drug fueled, and it's becoming a more and more violent society over the last 25 mm. years. Is there more violence out there now than there was when you started this? Oh show? yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. That's what I said, like, it's all drink and drugs and drugs. Like, years ago, a guy might give a fella a slap, of, you know, a clatter or whatever like that, whereas no, because drugs fellas are fueled with drugs they're dancing on people's heads they're, they're dance on their bodies they stab them, they hammer them they're, they don't give up until the other person is dead. It's absolutely frightening what's going on out there mm, And we don't know the half of it, even those in it but those of us who are in the job yeah, yeah, it, it's brutal. Uh, you know, and I just want to say one thing as well. I mean, it, because of the, the situation, the, the violent society we're living in, guards have a horrific job. And I think at the moment, there's a TV program called The Guards, the mm. K, inside the K on mm. Virgin Media. I think every politician and every judge in the country should be made sit down and watch it and to see what the guards have to go through. That What's happening in Dublin is happening here in Cork and Waterford and Limerick. And the guards do so much to get the criminals before the courts. Mm. It's not just a case of going out and picking up PJ Coogan or Paul Byrne and arresting them for such and such an offence. There is 
dozens and dozens of man hours go into bringing a prosecution to the courts and nine times out of ten the system is failing the the, the taxpayer and the victims mm-hmm. these people are handed a suspended sentence so we're living in a, a a violent society and the criminals aren't being dealt with properly you mentioned the drink drink and drugs um of course west cork happy hunting ground for many a drug dealer over the years and you've reported on some huge seizures yeah I mean you know there has been so many there has been so many uh, trawlers or ships and uh, yachts coming in off the coast laden down with drugs cannabis cocaine and um, but thankfully we've managed sorry the, the officials have managed the Irish state has managed to, to seize lots of it but it's a known fact that for every seizure Seizure, nine will go through undetected. The Irish coastline is wide open. I mean, Dunlock Bay was one of the biggest mm. in the history of the state a couple of years ago and they were bringing in a, a load of cocaine, bales of cocaine but you might remember that somebody, I don't know, was it they put petrol in the outboard engine instead of diesel or yeah. vice versa and everything went pear-shaped. But hadn't had that not happened, there is a very strong possibility all those bales of cocaine, I think it was half a billion worth of uh, coke mm. would have made its way through the coast um, but yes I mean cocaine all those bales of cocaine and it's down there on the streets in the city I'm looking over the Patrick Street today there are people down there um, unfortunately strung out of their minds looking for their next uh, fix mm. of heroin it's rampant um, and it's getting worse and it's so sad to see this, the, 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 the country ravaged by drugs and again it's gotten worse over the last 25 years mm, Yeah, the people that you have met over the years um, you've met from, from Bill Clinton if you want to Bob Murphy you, 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 you meet and, and you love that you approach everybody the same way yeah, um, Bill Clinton, Bertie Ahern, Leo Varadkar, Michal Martin, as you said, Bob Murphy, Mary Murphy, John Sullivan, Mrs. Sullivan. And you know what? I prefer meeting Mr. and Mrs. O'Sullivan and Mr. and Mrs. Murphy on the streets because they're why Virgin Media News has been so successful because we tell the human interest stories mm. and they've trusted me to tell their stories over the last 25 years um, you see the richest we meet the richest of the rich the most vulnerable of the vulnerable and I always remember interviewing a, a man on the streets a homeless man and he said um, never look down on anyone unless you're pu- bending down and putting out your hand to pick them up off the, the ground. I mm. thought it was a, a, a great little saying. And, but I just love human interest stories. The man and woman on the street um, give me those any day over any politician. Mm. And no, no disrespect to any politicians who, who I get on with and admire you know, mm. in their line of work. Mm. But I think um, the success to Virgin has been the human interest stories. The people mm. who are waiting for surgery, who are waiting um, for a hip replacement and they can't get it and they've come out publicly or their child is on a waiting list. I mean, I remember one stage Nine times out of ten, when people come to the media to say their child can't get an operation because there's a big long list, um, when they appear on the news at half five, they might be on the waiting list for four or five years. Nine times out of ten, when they appear on the news at half five, they will 
receive a letter from the HSE the following day to say, oh, we've been able to manage to, mm. to find a place for John or Mary. The, it's the power it's, of the media. It's happened, it's happened here. We've <coughs> yeah, had people, yeah, of course. You know, and, and so therefore I'll echo it with you. But it, 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 it says two things, doesn't it, Paul? It says, first of all, the waiting list system is a disgrace. And secondly, it says that these things can be solved if the right person wants to solve them. Exactly, and um, it's a shame that these people have to go to the media, but um, it, it happens, and it's the power of the media. Your listeners tune in every day, and if they have a problem, they come to you, and you can get it rectified within a short period of time on the radio. Mm. And it's 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 a shame. I think there is two sides to life. You know, the people who are vulnerable are still being kicked around the place all the time. Mm. What I've always admired about you is that My people looks. trust you. Well, we'll talk about that later. People trust you. Um, that's not something that comes easily. You see Paul Byrne coming with a camera. They trust you. I remember one remarkable incident. You and I both attended a tragedy down in West Cork. It was the T Bonhomme. Do you remember the trawler? Yeah. And one of the bodies was brought ashore. And it was in a little tent. And the family were there. And, and you made a very, I watched you do it, a very gentle approach to a family member and that person agreed to speak with you and I thought that takes what, what how do you do that Paul? Um, I suppose I've learned the way that lots of times if you approach a family um, they like to talk and they don't they won't approach you because they don't know how to do it. Maybe you'll approach a family and say, Would you like to talk about John or Mary? And nine times out of ten they do. Um and they trust you to tell their story. Again, I suppose you know, I've been around so long, people will know me from the T V and they say, Okay, look, we we'll go with it and they might just say, Look, give me a couple of minutes, I'll discuss it with the wife or the husband and they come back. But I'm not gonna go in there barging with a microphone to say, mm. Talk to me, talk to me, talk mm. to me. Um I, I will say something. I will I remember it's a it's a horrible job at times. I love my job. Mm. It's a super job. It's a horrible job at times when you do have to approach a family. The death knock. Uh, it's yeah, horrible. Or calling to a door and ask them, would they like to talk? Or would they like to issue a photograph of their loved one who, who has mm. died? And I remember calling to a house one day and um, family had lost a child. And the father came out and he was obviously distraught. <clears throat> he said, Paul, I can do this two ways. I can do it the legal way. And what he meant was, I'll get a solicitor's letter to get you off the grounds, or I can do it my way. I have a shotgun inside. And I said, <clears throat> I'll go away. And I said, if I can ever do anything to help you, please call me. And a couple of years later, I was in Anglesey Street outside the courthouse, and this man pulled up in a van, and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He said, do you remember me? And he said, I'm such and such a person. And he said, um, and he told me what happened. I said, oh, yes, I, how are you? And he said, you asked me to come back if I ever could do anything for him. <clears throat> and I said, yeah. He said, well, following the death of my child, <clears throat> the HSE has been sitting on a report, an investigation into his death for the last six years, and we're getting nowhere. And I made a phone call, and he had the report on his desk the next morning. We didn't do a television report on the fact that the man was looking for the report, but I was glad I was able to help him. And initially he had threatened to shoot me, and I can't blame him. I mean, I do it myself. I always put myself in the, the situation. What would they do if they came to, what would I do if they came to my door? Mm -hmm. um, I just don't know. But people react in different ways. Mm. And look, I want to say one thing. Thank, thank you to all the people who 
having threatened to shoot me and I'm sorry if I ever have upset people and I'm sure I have and I didn't ever mean I never did ever mean it but that's the, the, the nature of the job The great Dick Cross who was still around um, taught me a lesson and I think possibly taught you too to us it's a day's work it's their life one of the most important lessons I ever learned in this job It is and you know what I say look we it is a day's work and every time you do a story involving death um, I think again the other day just Cashel and Clonmel where people oh. lost their lives in horrific road crashes and you're up there for three or four days and you're covering the crashes and you're covering the funerals and then we move on to the next story mm-hmm. it's only those at then it's probably those families are allowed to grieve it's like sometimes you think oh my god it's a case it's a, it's a file number and we move on but that's that's mm-hmm. the, the downside of the job it's a tape that you store yeah yeah. yeah, 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 that is, and it 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 just it, it is it is what it is. Um, we liked it for a second. You 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 love stuff. You love strange stuff. The weirder, the better. There's nothing you won't you won't go to. You know, pig racing or <laughs> donkey derbies. You're sitting there in the morning, and a choice of things comes in. How do you pick what one to go to? Um, if it's a human interest story, that'll mm. win out straight away ever before um, a political story. Like, just say for argument's sake, today, um, just say you could do something on fuel prices. That's a consumer story. That's affecting Mm. the man and woman on the street. Uh, Property prices, again, anything to do with the punter, the viewer, uh, your listener, our viewer. That's, they're the stories that are chosen over anything else, really. A couple of things, a couple of accolades for you. You, um, You won an award for a documentary on the mur- murder of Sophie. We're coming up to, what is it now? Is it 27? 27 years, 27 in December, yeah. Paul, do you ever think, Will, and I'm not asking you to yeah. pass judgment on anything, but you, like I, have followed this since the afternoon the story broke. Will we ever know what happened, do you think? What actually happened? Um, there was a conviction recently, a man called Noel Long. Mm-hmm. Um, he was convicted of a murder here in Cork Correct. Uh, 40 years ago. And there was a team of detectives from West Cork assigned to that to go back and look at it, and they had a, they got a conviction. The same team are now investigating the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. There's fresh eyes, you know. Mm. There's a, a fresh set of ears, and they're going over those statements. And I think there's such a a, a, a a professional team that if the killer is out there, the killer will be caught. I do believe that. Mm. Um, they're, they insist, they're adamant in nailing whoever killed Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. Mm. Uh, there's probably a lot of younger people listening to this today who don't know who she is, but it has been one of the most pr- high-profile unsolved murders in this country it over the, the years. Great, the great unsolved <coughs> murder yeah. cases of both yours and my career. You not, not not satisfied with crime in Ireland? You went to the Bronx. I went to the Bronx a couple of years ago. I was over actually filming uh, a story about the Irish living in America and lots of them, how we had, well they had done, and others who were um, coming home. And we were over there as well to film St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York. And at one of the events, 
uh, Michal Martin was attending one of the events, uh, it was a FOSS gig, and I met a head of security, he was the head of the bomb squad in New York, and he was from Mallow originally, right? <laughs> and um, it was like, it was like, he was like this FBI agent, you know, and the microphone up the sleeve and everything, and um, so I said to him, come here, I'd love to try and get a, a night out or two with, with the, the NYPD, and he said, here's a number, ring this guy, his name is Paul McCormack, he's a captain, he was the youngest captain in the police in New York, and he was from Donegal. Mm-hmm. So I rang him, I got his number, he called me back, and he said, okay, report for duty to Fort Apache, that's what it was known as. <laughs> it was the toughest precinct in the Bronx. And he said, actually said, he report for duty, he said, I'll send a patrol car to your hotel in the morning to collect you and the cameraman. And we spent two days and two nights out filming bulletproof vests on top of rooftops chasing the perpetrators with the cops with the cameras I it was an incredible incredible experience it was superb Um, I mean the guy said to me make sure you wear that uh, bulletproof vest he said the last thing I want to do is send you back to Cork in a box you know but I mean uh, life in the Bronx back then was incredible but listen I have spent time here filming with the guards as well. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Out with the fire service here in Cork, out with the National Ambulance Service. Um, their work is incredible. And it was great to be able to allow us to show the works mm-hmm. of our own emergency services here in Cork. We'd be lost without them. Mm. A few people are responding now. Uh, John O'Donovan, who we both, we both know well. I'd like to thank Paul for the balanced coverage he gave the Ballyfahan Says No and other campaigns. He reports on grassroots movements that other media wouldn't touch with a barge poll. He says especially RTE but that's his words. Uh, and Paul, Mary says you're a credit to Cork. Uh, David says great to hear Paul talking about all these big stories. I followed his career. Noreen says happy anniversary Paul but Kevin has a question. Um, how do you go home and stay sane with what you see at work? How do you go home in the evening to a wife and kids and not bring this stuff home and how do you Avoid it driving you mad. Um, I'll be. I might as well be honest. It does take its toll. Um, when you're reporting on it on the on the day, it's it's your job. You got to get it on the news. Um, I remember a situation many many years ago where there was a baby, a baby Jacob, and I'm not saying anything mm-hmm. that's private because he was on the news, baby Jacob in Mill Street. And somebody contacted me to say that the family were from Poland, they were living in Mill Street, and the baby had been born without any eyes. I remember it. And I, I, I took no it up, backs. I thought the baby was blind, but when I went down, they said, no, the baby hasn't any eyes. And I remember going in, the baby was only about three or four months old, and I had the same age child, Callum, he was only about three or four months at the time. And for the first time in my life, at a story, I burst out into tears. Mm-hmm. The family ended up consoling me, <laughs> honestly. And I, but in general, you have to turn away from it, you turn off. But it's it's at night when you're lying there in bed. And I'll be honest with you, I've had nightmares um, recently about the death of Santina Colley. Um That mm. was the little baby who was killed in the Bory Manor Road. Um that has really, really had a serious effect to me. Yeah. I do break down um, 
from time to time but on my own I could be just sitting in the car waiting to collect the kids from something and you yeah. think of things and it's like when you see a child in pain or a, lo- a child who loses his or her life it's it's gall it's grueling uh, it does take its toll and it, I, I do have my moments I'm not uh, as hard as people might think I'll share a story with you um, because you rang me on my 40th birthday to tell me that Robert Houlihan had been found. Yeah, I'm getting a shiver now thinking back of that. Um, that was my fart. He was- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It was found on my 40th birthday. I was going out of here to meet a friend for lunch and you rang me and of course you went straight down. We all went straight down and we both reported on that day until dark and a cold night and I came home that night and I was writing up some work for the morning and sending stuff to the network and whatever and I wasn't working the following day as it turned out and I said I'd go get myself a can of beer and I had a fridge out in the shed and I had to get some beer. And I stood on a cold January night looking up at the sky and I thought of that poor little boy lying in that ditch and the tears came and they didn't stop for a long time. Mm. It happens to us, Paul. Oh, definitely. I mean, I I honestly, I think of um, Robert Hulahan quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think of all the, the other children mm. that, that have lost their lives. But there are stories that stand out. I mean, I remember when the news story that there was a child missing in um, Middleton and the media went down. Little did we think that we'd be there 10 or 12 days later still out searching for him. And I remember or I, I, I remember saying to the guards at one stage, would we do a reconstruction for television? And they said, right, can you organise it? And I said, yeah. And I went to St. Anthony's Boys School in Bannonlock and I spoke to the then principal, Flora Sullivan. I told him what we were doing. And we went around the school looking for a lookalike and there was this boy, my Jesus, I've never seen anyone so close to Robert. And his parents agreed for this little boy to do the reconstruction. And I remember we were doing the reconstruction of Robert cycling on, sorry, this boy was doing the reconstruction on his bike outside uh, Mark and Magella's uh, house in, in the driveway. And we were filming it and the boy was cycling away and I remember looking to the window and there was Magella Houlihan looking out at this little boy 
Robert's double and I went, Jesus, what is she thinking? Mm. Thankfully, his body was found, you know, there was closure again, we hear this word closure if, if for the want of a better word, but again, horrific, so yeah. such a sad story. You mentioned Tina Satchwell, and I, I want to have a laugh at you before, before we finish, and I promise that I will, but, but we'll start with that. I'll come to, to the dark one in a minute. Is there a story of the last 25 years, Paul, that when you think about it, when it crosses your mind, you smile? One story that you'll always smile. Um, crikey, if we'll be on a spot, I, 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 I'll walk away from here afterwards and I'll probably say, ah, oh, Christ, why didn't I tell that story? Why didn't I tell this story? But uh, I got a call actually from somebody in the emergency services this morning and uh, it just brought a story back to me. We were out filming with the uh, ambulance service a couple of years ago and we were going to various calls and just um, but there was an incident where a man rang that his wife had gone into labour and the ambulance went out to meet them. They were, he was driving up so they stopped halfway just out by Ballinhasic. Every time I think past it, I, I think of this. So there's the woman in the back of the car, oh, oh, screaming. And the paramedics around delivering the baby there and then in the back of the car. It was absolutely amazing. But I'm a guy who's always telling the cameraman, to go in, go in, go in, go in, get the shot. We'll, we'll, ask, we'll find out afterwards. We'll ask questions later. But for once in my life, I actually told the cameraman, Christ, back off, back off, back off. But I was afraid something would go wrong. Yeah. But thankfully, everything was fine. There, there was a wonderful delivery and the paramedic on the night, Danny O'Regan, he's since retired. He delivered the baby, a healthy baby. And I don't know, maybe two, oh, 15 years later, um, I was, we were down in, we were down in uh, Bandon covering a snow story, place mm. was uh, covered in snow. And this young fella came over to me with a man and he said, uh, uh, you you were there for when I was born, and I went what? He said you were there for when I was born. I was oh really? And I was what's the animal? And I said, Christ, please don't tell me there. I was I was there now for the conception as well. Will you? But he told me he was the boy who was born, and he was there. I swear he must have been about six foot six, a giant of a man. I had to get a ladder to look up at him. But I know I know. And as as I said afterwards, I look back now with more stories. But I said, or thank God I wasn't there when for the. I was only there for the birth. <laughs> Not the conception. That's a beautiful. Come here, the, the, as you know yourself from doing this job from time to time, the commercials don't wait for yeah. no man. Give me two minutes, Paul, and we chat for a few minutes more. Yeah. I'm talking to Paul Bourne. 25 years ago today, he uh, started work as Southern correspondent of the then TV3, now Virgin Media. Some more talk in a minute. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. A lady on the phone wants to talk to you, Paul. We'll need to get a pair of headphones to accommodate that. But Bernie says, I want to tell Paul the reason that he lasted so long is because he's a fabulous human being and I want to send my congratulations. David Leland, congratulations to Paul Byrne. Great professional informative 25 years thanks for your work let's bring up another name Paul um, that I know one thing again looking to as both a colleague and a friend of many years when you get your teeth into something you don't let it go until you get an answer that, that's one thing you do Tina Satchwell you worked so hard on that story and continue to do so 
Yeah, it's another mystery, an un- another unsolved mystery. Um, it's it's a story that really uh, gripped the, the nation. Um, we don't know. It's I think we'll never know. Mm. Um, again, there isn't a body, whereas there was a body in, in the Sophie. Safe is Sophie. Um, it, it, like, it's, everybody asks me every day of the week, people will say, who did this? Who did that? And I don't know. And I, that's not an answer that they want. But I no. genuinely don't know. No. But, and I, I have ideas and I can't share them, obviously. But, um, you know, people will say, I, I know that this happened and that happened. But look, we won't know until there's evidence. And look, the guards just yeah. need that evidence. We can only deal with the, the facts. With the, the facts. Put that headphones on there and we'll say hello to where she fell. Rita, morning. Morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Rita. Uh, How are you? Paul, you won't, you won't remember me now, but you came to my house at one time, a good few years back now. And like my mind isn't as good now as it used to. But you came and my daughter was singing a song while she was drinking water. Right? Right. This, this was the thing at the time. It was some kind of a quiz. And she won the quiz anyway. And she went down to, um, I think it was Washington Street, a hotel was on. And she had to win there for the, the finals anyway. And she went in and she sang again with the water, right? right. And she won the competition, 500 euro. And you never saw such a happy person in all your life. She ran after the competition, down to the travel agent and booked a holiday for herself. Fair play. And do you know what? She never sent me a postcard. I know, but I mean, she do know you, like, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I had to laugh. And then afterwards, I used to say to her, Margaret, look at all Paul Byrne. God, he's on the nose and he's on the settings and that. Fair <laughs> yeah, point, yeah. yeah. I, was, that was, a, that, that, was that on 96FM? Were we doing that at the time? A gargling competition, is it? You were right here. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Fair play yeah. to her. Well, listen, yeah, well, I mean, that's a kind of a happy thing instead of all the... The doom and gloom, exactly. Lovely, right. lovely yeah. to hear that. And uh, tell her I wish her well. And thanks for the call, I Rita. will, of course. I will, of course. Rita, yeah. thank you very much. Thank, thank you, too. Thanks We're chatting with Paul Bourne. 25 years ago today, started as a southern correspondent of Virgin Media. Paul, from his days in the multi uh, to now, you don't have to love him. Congratulations, says Jar. Uh, the most genuine man you'd ever meet, says Mary. I worked in North Main Street. He was working in multi-channel. I'd pass him on Southgate Bridge. Always a lovely fella and a gent. And lots of love in the room for you this morning. I, I wanted to come back to this because knowing you as I do, there are things that haunt you. And you mentioned Santina. Mm-hmm. Would that be the story, Paul, that keeps you awake? Or is there one that has cost you a night's sleep over the years? Santina Colley, Um I've had desperate, desperate nightmares um, since the the trial. Um, mm-hmm. But I I know people who in the emergency services who were there and who were still in counselling. Yeah, I'm going through nothing. I, I covered it, but I mean, um, the court case was horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, when they brought out some of Santina's clothing in the in the in the courtroom during the trial. Um, you know, little baby grows and what have you. Um, heartbreaking. I mm. think, you know, it would bring tears to a stone, honestly, what happened. Um, and that is one story that I have woken screaming in the middle of the night. Wow. Paul, you are a family man. 
and and you also you're coming up, I think, to the time of year where you do switch off for a week or so. How do you switch off? How do you wind down? How do you put all this stuff behind you? Um, religiously, we go to Lanzarote in October. And funnily enough, I've been going to the same place for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love it. It's a time I actually leave my mobile home. Or mobile home I leave my mobile phone at home. Uh, if anybody from family, extended family, want to contact us, they have Deirdre's number. Uh, it's just one time. I do not bring the phone with me. It's a family time because we have had situations over the years where we could be out for lunch mm-hmm. and my phone will go and I'll have to leave again. Like even last Sunday, we were at a mini All-Ireland final. My daughter was playing. Thankfully, we got to see all of the games and we had plans to go for lunch. And uh, there was a call that the guard were holding a press conference at four o'clock so we had to cancel the lunch it happens mm-hmm. I remember being out the night of my own 40th birthday with a lot of us out for a meal and I got a call there was a, a, a murder and I had to leave the party we were sitting around a restaurant but you just that's the the downside the but unfortunately I, I, I don't give out then because you're honestly you're going to a tragedy where a family are left grieving will be grieving and left picking up the pieces it's a small inconvenience for me compared to what a lot of people have to go through. Mm-hmm. I don't really uh, crib about it. It's it's the job. But uh, you, need, you need patient family. Dee and Callum and Charlie May. They're all very very patient. Yeah, and they they've take they've learned to accept it. Um, Callum is thirteen. He says, uh, "What is it now, Dad?" And I will tell him it's something you know. Mm-hmm. Our Charlie May, um, Deirdre, yeah, Grant, no problem. They've they've learned to accept it. Um, it happens. Look, thankfully, it doesn't happen every day. The yeah, week, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. like that, but it can happen, and anybody in this business will know that if it's a big story, you drop everything. Mm. I mean, we work very closely together in Cork. The reporters here mm. from the newspapers, the radio stations, we're we're kind of a family. Emer, yeah. uh, your producer, Emer said that this morning that we are a family of uh, reporters, and yeah. we all get on with each other, and yeah. so they all know the situation too. Yeah, put those headphones on again. You yeah. have them on you. Uh, a man we both know and 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 respect very highly. Ed Buckley. Ed, good morning. Good morning. How are you keeping? Is this Eddie the Fire Chief? <laughs> Fireman Sam, how are you, boy? <laughs> well, I, I'm listening to your story there this morning, and I think you, first and foremost, you should have probably stuck with a comedy, okay? <laughs> but, but I have to say, in all the dealings I've had with you through the years, and some of them are very, very uh, upsetting, as you can well imagine, you were very helpful to me in helping me to deliver the, the report to you. And the one thing I admire about you is your, your, how compassionate you are and sensitive. And you summed that up last week or the week before when you were talking about that recent tragedy in Fountainstown. Mm. When you said, for those of us who have children, when they come home, grandchildren, give them a hug and tell them you love them. That was the most sensible and lovely thing I have ever heard. And I just want to congratulate you on that. Thank you so much. And, and for the listeners who don't know, Eddie was uh, a third officer in Cork City Fire Brigade uh, for many, many years. And we became yeah. great buddies. And Eddie, you have seen it all. I report it, but you got to see Absolutely. it firsthand. And Absolutely. you're the man yeah. who knows the, the pain that people go through. And you, uh, as I said, have seen it. So, But thank you so much for your call. You're, you're a gentleman. A Always love working alongside you, boy. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. One of those people who runs in when the rest of us are... Yeah, are running out. Uh, another man you'll know well. Hello, Geraldine, the National Ambulance Service. How are Good you? Good morning. Good, thanks. 
Sure, how are you doing? Good, Paul. Paul, um, again, congratulations on, on a fantastic, you know, 25 years and, you know, qu- quarter of a century, I suppose, of, of journalism. Um, and look, Paul, I just want to jump on just on behalf of the National Ambulance Service as well, just to, to thank you sincerely for, I suppose, you, you've always covered, you know, the most positive events as possible for us. Um, you know, and we've, we've gained a lot of, um, I suppose, PR really, you know, on behalf of the ambulance service where people don't really know what the paramedics do and the great work that they do, you know, every day. Um, you know, like the fire service, we're normally the people going in that person's worst hour of need, you know. And, and like, I remember your news report um, with Danny Regan and that childbirth, and it's fantastic to hear that, you know, you, you met that gentleman a number of years later. Um, you know, all growing up and, you know, again, a result of great work done by the paramedics and great work done by you in highlighting it. So just again, thanks for everything. And uh, I'm sure we'll have many more years um, uh, of crossing paths and various events and, and stories. We will indeed, Ger, and thank you so much for all your help over the years. I just want to say one thing. What, what I learned, we were out filming with the paramedics again for, for a series of news reports, and I think everybody should be made aware of this. Lots and lots of people say ambulance drivers. They're yeah. not. The man behind the wheel or the woman behind the wheel is a paramedic or an advanced paramedic or an EMT. And that was one lesson I learned straight away the night we went out filming. And I think... Um, you know, we, we all learn as we go along. But you're, thanks a million for the call. You're very good. Thank you Great so much. Great. Nice. And PJ, thank you too. Thank no, 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 pleasure. Uh, Gerard D, the National Ambulance Service. And you know where he lives, don't you? I do, yeah. Yeah, Nina. <laughs> go away, Paul. You see, this is the point. I, I can't stay serious long enough. Paul Bourne, 25 years doing what you do and doing it brilliantly. And I've known you since 1982. Thank you so much, Thanks, PJ. Great. Thank you very much indeed. Good. Now, where's my walking frame? <laughs> <laughs> See you next time, buddy. Paul Bourne, 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The Big Drive Home with Izzy Showbizzy. It's so on Courts 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. where I can guarantee you lots of requests. Hey, Izzy, so busy. Can you play Beyonce? Love on top, please. Awesome. The occasional sing song. Return I try to fly. I fall without my wings. And a message from my mother. Hello, Isabel. It's your mother here. It's lovely to hear you're back on the radio. She's the only person that gets away with calling me Isabel. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. The Big Drive Home. You can drive me home. With Izzy Showbizzy. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. He's still here because there's something he forgot to say, but a um, couple of more messages from Paul Bourne. Congratulations from David Leland. It's been a great professional and informative 25 years. Uh, the dogs went bark- went mad barking at Paul when you recreated the sound of the woman in labour. <laughs> <laughs> Antoinette, Annette's dogs. <laughs> um, and this one, Frank says, your name will be mentioned in the same sentence as Double, Charles Mitchell, and Charlie Bird in well, time to come. Now well, that is that is some praise. That's lovely. That that's is lovely. Some pra- and by the way, have you heard from Charlie since he 
since he became unwell? No, I, I don't know him. Uh, Do you not? I no, would have no. known him years ago. Yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. P- you wanted I, to say I just, something. I just want to say thank you, first of all, for you, to Fergal and Emer for inviting me into the studio this morning. Uh, much appreciated. I want to say thank you to all of the people who have shared their stories with me over the years and trusted me to tell their story and uh, without those people I wouldn't have lasted 25 years I'm not leaving or anything somebody texted me last night are you leaving no I'm not I'll be there for another while with the help of God Um, I just want to thank all of the the audience the people who've as I said who've been uh, calling in uh, sending messages and what have you like that um, I just want to thank my late mum and dad who were very supportive to me over the years. Uh, honest to God, they were brilliant. Do your mum well. Do your um, mum well. To my wife Deirdre, to my son Callum, to my little princess Charlie May, to my sister and my brothers and to everybody. Thank you so much for the well wishes and here's to another 25 years. Um, we're going to treat ourselves if I may say Um, I'm going to bring Deirdre she doesn't know it but we're going on a little ferry we're going on a coast to coast tour to celebrate I'm going from Passage West to Cove goodbye (laughs) (laughs) go on Paul and seeing as you're headed for Lanzarote this for some reason is still a massive hit out there about 40 years after it first came out so many people finished their act with it the musicians in the pubs so I'll play this for you as we head up to news this is Freed from Desire Paul thanks again thank you the minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696 96 96 96 Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Mine with PJ Coogan Cox 96 FM I wonder is there any of that on YouTube or anywhere at all Willie Boot throwing from the National Plowing Championships the very thought of it I can't imagine I hope they clean the flipping wellies today before they start throwing them because there'll be muck everywhere more muck than there was yesterday and did I hear somebody say I, I nearly crashed the car this morning when I was coming in did someone say there's a competition or there's a stand at the Flowing Championships this year where you can vote for your favourite saint I mean I'm sorry <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. It's how Irish people get together. But you can go and vote for your favourite saint. There's an election count I wouldn't mind attending. Uh, still lots of love coming in for Paul Byrne. Crosshaven, RNLI, lifeboat. Say congratulations, Paul. Uh, Chloe, I'd like to say well done, Paul. Great fella. All of the great stories this morning. Bit of a legend, says Mick. Uh, knew his dad's, knew his dad in the show bands. I was also thinking this morning of Paul, an old mutual friend of us both, no longer with us now, a man called Tom Kaneen. They used to do a show together called The Physical Rex. It was just demented comedy, just utterly demented fun. Um, that was many, many years ago. Catherine, and of course Paul, loves to perform. Always did. And Catherine Mahan Buckley was in touch to say, uh, great that Paul is being honoured. Um, well, I wish him all the best from us. What a lad, always with a smile on his face. After talking to him, he always come away in a good mood. On behalf of the performing arts and the arts in general, congratulations to Paul. Thank him for all the support he, rep- he gives to the arts sector. Paul, you're the best. That's from Catherine and Ted and all the arts people in Cork City and County. And thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Now, on Friday... I was talking to Denise Corton. Um, Denise 
has done showbiz reports for us in the past, but now she is in Sydney for two years and she's working out there for News Corp, um, digital editor for a number of newspapers. And we were chatting about life in Australia because so many people, so many young people are heading out there now for a year or two years or three years. Most of them come back. Some of them don't. Some of them stay and make their life out there. But we're chatting about you know, the simple things, the things that you wonder, like the wages and the cost of living and the weather and the public transport and getting around and all those things. And we had a good chinwag, myself and Denise, on Friday about it. One thing they came up was the price of the pint. And a pint in Sydney uh, works out at around €9. Euro. Oh, my God. And they have a thing out there called a schooner, which isn't a half pint and isn't a pint, works out at about Seven euro, but we were talking about that in terms of the comparisons. Uh, the Australian dollar is currently about one point four euro, uh, one forty-five. I think, at the, according to this morning's conversion figures, about one forty-five. But the conversation in general prompted Andrew to send me an interesting message. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. You wanted to talk a little bit about comparing cost of living here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, because just listening to your conversation on Friday, um, the way you guys were comparing things, um, it, it's the way everybody kind of does it is where they'll convert. Um, let's just use Australia for, for an example there. Um, you would just convert the price of the Australian pint back to euros. And like you say, it was worked out to nine euros. But the only problem with doing that is that you don't actually get an idea of of the true cost, because when you when you're living in Ireland, you're earning euros and you're paying in euros. Um, if you move to Australia, you're earning Australian dollars and you're paying in Australian dollars. The only time that it's it's actually worthwhile converting is if you go on holiday, because then you are you are spending euros. In Australia, yeah. Um, so I just want to give you a, a quick rundown here. Um, I moved over to Ireland nearly six years ago. You're South so, African by your accent, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's it. I normally get called either Australian or a New Zealander. Oh dear me, no! So, uh, oh dear me, no! <laughs> South African is so nuanced and different. We go on anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just uh, the, the, the way we manage to explain to everybody the, the difference in it is the best way to look at it is take the country's minimum wage just one hour's minimum wage mm-hmm. so I'll give you an example in South Africa when we moved over to Ireland so six years ago the minimum wage in South Africa was 20 rand an hour mm. I was looking it up this morning actually it's about 24 yeah. now 25 yeah that's a it's euro, just over 25. That's a euro 45. That's it. So 10 years ago, right, oh, ten, sorry, 10 years ago, but six years ago in Ireland, the, the minimum wage was just over 10 euros. And if you worked for one hour, you got your 10 euros. You go to the shop, back then, loaf of bread was a euro 50. A two liter milk was a euro 50. So that's three euros. You could buy a cooked chicken for five euros. Mm. and you still had two euros left, you could buy a litre of fuel. Mm. So that's four 
one that's for one hour's work on minimum wage which is now 11:30 so it's the same comparison that's yeah. it yeah yeah so at the moment like, like you say uh, in South Africa it's 25 rand or so an hour um if you take your one hour's wages which is 20 rand and you go to the shop it's 15 rand for a loaf of bread so the hour's wages is one euro 45 and 15 rand is 90 cent so that's a lot of your wages yep. gone on a loaf of bread well yeah that's one hour's pretty much one hour's work and then if you want a two liter milk it's 32 rand mm-hmm. it's more than and if yep and if you want to cook chicken it's 75 rand so it just puts it into perspective um, the economic state of a country because the more you can buy for an hour's minimum wage, it shows how strong your country, your, your economic uh, situation is in the country. It's a very interesting comparison, actually, and I thank you for it, um, Andrew. I did some sums this morning. There's a very accurate converter that I have on my, on my phone, and I, I compared the three minimum wages. So 25 rand is 1 euro 45. Um, our current minimum wage is 11 euro 30. And if you convert yep. the uh, Australian dollar to euro, their current minimum wage is 16 euro. So that's an awful way. That's a very, very, very low wages in South Africa. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it just shows how um, the rand just has no strength, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, that's how it goes. That's how the cookie explodes. That's how they say. Which is it's, why uh, when people go to South Africa on holidays to the various parts of it where you can, they come back and they say, oh, you couldn't spend money over there. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, you, you pretty much, well, when we, when we go back over to, to visit family, it, it's, you know, the, the money over there, it's like monopoly money. Yeah. It, it is. It's, it's crazy. Um, but like I said, it, it's only, it's only cheap. If you're going there with euros, sure. I mean, you can go and eat out and, oh, uh, somebody put a post on the other day that there were, I think it was seven of them that went out for dinner and all in all, it, it cost something like 80 euros. Mm. Mm. And that's for like so many people to eat out. And that was yeah. uh, for a full meal and drinks. They used to make so that comparison about Spain, people going holidays in Spain, but Spain now has a minimum wage of anything from 7 to 9 euro an hour, 8.50 in most places. But I've never come across, in, in what you call a modern country, so that I never come across such an awfully low minimum wage, Andrew. I genuinely had no idea until I started breaking down your figures. Yeah, and the scariest part there is it's, uh, that's not the lowest. If you look around the world, you'll, I guarantee you, you'll find some, some even lower yeah. Wow. Thank you for that, for the listening perspective, for sure. How, how, why, was it for financial reasons you came here? Uh, we just came here for uh, a change in life and just to better ourselves. Um, my wife and I, we, we hadn't ever actually been over here. Right. Um, and we just decided, right, well, let's come on over and why give did, it a go. Why and, did you choose Ireland? Yeah. Was it that you had work skills that would be okay here, that would fit in here, or what happened? And we came for the weather. Get away. <laughs> no. Um, no, we just, we've always uh, had a calling for, for Ireland and we just came over. And yeah, my, my skill set, uh, I found a job very quickly and 
Yeah, we haven't looked back. What, I mean, do, you, what do you do, Andrew? I, I, I'm a forklift engineer. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we haven't looked back. And I mean, we've got two beautiful kids here now, which uh, we wouldn't have had if we if we hadn't moved over. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we yeah, have well, a lot to be thankful for. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, afford to have kids, is that it? Yeah, no, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have been able to afford to have kids over there. It it is extremely expensive, and you you have to have private health care and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So it's it's very very expensive. Is it safer? Oh, safer no, over here, I'd say as well, is it? Oh yes. Um, well, that was actually the, the deciding factor for us um, when we decided to actually have kids. Uh, we were living out in Bellincolig. And uh, the one night we were on our way home from friends and it was after 10 o'clock at night and there was a group of young girls uh, walking home. There must have been maybe four or five of them walking home. And we just thought, you know, that's that's how life's supposed to be. That's how you should be able to grow up. You should be able to walk in the streets at night and not worry. Um, and I, I'm not going to sit you with rose-tinted glasses and that uh, I wouldn't do that in some parts of Cork City and sure. some parts of Dublin sure. and whatnot. But um, yeah, the, it is over here. It, it is a lot safer, okay. and you can live a lot more uh, relaxed life. Yeah. That's that's for sure. You're you're not the first South African to call the show and to tell me that. I've never been. Um, I, uh, I've often wondered what it would be like to visit, but I've never, I've never been. I know it's a beautiful country. You just, just have to look at pictures for that. And uh, I would, know. I would definitely recommend it for a holiday. It is absolute. It is fantastic place to go to for a holiday. It really is amazing. The people there are amazing. The people are so friendly. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just. Uh, unfortunate about the crime and stuff like that so you, you do have to be very careful and and the and the wages that people have to do can i ask you a question andrew if you and you know me i'm a bit of a rugby fan uh, and i will be sitting down <laughs> on saturday night um will your loyalties be divided on saturday let me put it to you this way i have a south african flag suit and i also have the irish rugby uh, paraphernalia and all of that. So Saturday will be interesting. Um, my heart will still be with South Africa, mm-hmm. but when my son starts to play rugby, I will just be wearing plain green. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Saturday, I, I'd still be, I'd still be screaming for the for the Boca. I would have thought you would. You'd be honest about it, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 I sincerely hope that. Um, that it'll go the other way as you well. I think one thing one thing we can be sure of is a great game. It'll be a good game. We're all looking forward yes, to it. Yes, most Andrew, definitely. Andrew, great conversation and thank you for it. That's Andrew from South Africa, living in Ireland for the last few years. Just on comparing various wages. And I have found that to be an interesting exercise. If you have a good currency converter on your phone and loads of them out there, you can get today's exchange rate for anywhere in the world. And Denise made a point on Friday that things are very expensive, but wages are generally better. And I looked at the minimum wage. There is a a national minimum wage in Australia, and it works out when you do the conversion. It works out at 16 euro. Our national minimum wage is currently 11.30. So then you start comparing stuff like a 
point and nine quid and all that sort of stuff. He makes the argument. But I was shocked. I wouldn't have known this. I would not have known this instead of started run to run Andrew's numbers through my app. The minimum wage, the government, the national minimum wage in South Africa today, in a modern nation, and Saturday night you'll watch the Springboks against Ireland and hopefully our lads will do the business. I have a good feeling. I have a good feeling. If nothing else, we'll have a fantastic match. But um, the average... The minimum wage in South Africa, one euro forty-five per hour. That's not earning. That's not money. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty-five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. Talking earlier this morning about the number of hotels and guest houses and other accommodation which have been given over to government contracts now. Um for Ukrainian refugees and indeed other asylum seekers. And it's one in five hotel bedrooms in the country, which is an astonishing number by by any account. And I was chatting with Owen from the uh, Accommodation Federation uh, earlier on this morning. I should at least give the man his correct name. That would be, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? It would be Owen O'Mara Walsh uh, from the Irish Tourism Industry uh, Federation about the huge numbers of hotels, guest houses and others that are now contracted to the government. Um, Bernie said, I think Ireland has done more than its share now for the people suffering from the war in Ukraine. It should turn its attention to our own elderly being thrown out of nursing homes. I'm not saying the Ukrainians aren't suffering or that it wasn't right to help them, but it's about helping them to the exclusion of everyone else. And there is an anger about it. Thanks, Bernie. 0818-969696. Now, I heard Gareth yesterday talking to Mick Barry about this controversial visit to Cork by a woman called Barbara O'Neill. She is a wellness coach. A naturopath is another name. And we learned that she is banned from any practice of her profession for life. Banned by the Healthcare Complaints Commission in Australia. And I believe that that ban may stretch to New Zealand also. But she is booked in for a series of events here at um, at the Clayton in Cork over the next couple of days. And there, It's a legitimate booking, it's a legitimate contract. But uh, Mick Barry was on yesterday with uh, Gareth, highlighting the situation and questioning whether or not or why Barbara O'Neill should be allowed to come here and host her seminars. Given that, for example, she claimed one point one time that cancer was just a fungus and that bicarbonate of soda could cure cancer, which is utter bunkum. We all know it's bunkum. Um, and she has been well and truly debunked by the authorities in her own country of Australia. But she is free to move around the world and promote her beliefs and promote her work and promote her books and promote her products. She, she, she's free to do it. Um, however, it's been met with anger here. One event has been cancelled up the country. Uh, the one in Cork is still going on. Fiona Pettit O'Leary, um, you, I think you're mounting a protest at the hotel 
in in the hope that the remainder of her events can be cancelled. But Fiona, the fact remains, does it not, that she she is banned in her own country, Australia, but she is free to move around and and do these things around the country if she wishes to do so. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Um, yes, you're correct um, with that point. Um, the ban only pertains to her native Australia. Regardless of that, though, we have a duty of care to protect vulnerable people in our communities, especially cancer patients. And Barbara O'Neill is telling cancer patients to avoid and stop chemotherapy and take unproven remedies, some of which she actually markets herself. My own son sadly got cancer in 2020. He is in remission but has to attend hospital every four months. So this is very personal to me and I, I'm so hurt to know that she's in Cork right now. The people that attend these talks, many of them are desperate, believing that these um, unproven bogus remedies will cure them when they don't. And it's really just a money-making racket. Um, people like Barbara target people that are in desperate situations. And that, to me, should be something that we put a stop to in Ireland. We don't have a Cancer Act, uh, PJ. Um, I think Kate O'Connell tried to bring a bill. She did, correct. And then the doll was wound up before it went through, which means someone has to pick up and run, run with it again. We're working on that now. We are, we are going to try, um, not just me, other activists, to work on that because... Without a Cancer Act, we have no regulation. We know like the HPRA can only address products that are being sold. Um, we know that she's selling books which lead to her products, so effectively she is. But um, we, we have not had a good response from the hotel. I did speak to managers there, and they were nice to me and concerned. But today, the update I have received is that no comments. So we're looking at a protest today, actually, at the hotel. Now, Fiona, we are still awaiting a statement, stroke response from the hotel. We've invited them to put their side of the story. As, as they're not present, it falls to me to maybe say what they might say. And they might say it's a legitimately booked event, booked and paid for, and a contract signed. Yeah, that's true. Um, I grew up in a hotel myself, PJ, and we rented rooms um I think hotels have a duty of care to, to check out who are renting rooms. I mean, she wasn't advertised in a way that people would have known it was her. So it wasn't really the hotel's fault. But now that they know, I suppose every day that passes and every vulnerable person that goes in there is, is a risk for that person. And, you know, she does tell people to stop chemo. My, my real concern as, as a mother of someone that has gone through chemo, which saved my son's life, is that if you tell someone to stop chemo, you know, there could be, you know, dire consequences for that. I, I just feel compelled to do something. And we will be protesting the hotel because we want to protect cancer patients in our community in Cork and further afield. She's set to travel overseas to the Netherlands and Germany as well. So any actions we take here in Cork will help other people in other countries, PJ. It comes back, doesn't it, Fiona, to where we started with this conversation in that and I, I read extensively about the bans that apply to her in Australia. They may extend to New Zealand. I'm open to correction on that. But outside of Australia, those 
bans have no effect. And the thing is, she also stands, she, she has never been convicted of anything. Yeah, well, look, she also said that she was qualified. So, like, the thing is, we have a problem in Ireland, especially because we don't have any regulation. The UK has a cancer act. That's why people like Barbara come here, because they know they can get away with it. But the other hotel did cancel, mm. and I want to you know, commend them. Um, and there was a lot of people apparently attending that talk because they want to protect their customers and they want to protect public health. And it's really a moral issue. So even at this late stage, Fiona, are you calling on the hotel to pull the event? Yes, because there's another few days where she's holding talks. And I mean... I was hoping that I would have got a positive response, but sadly that's not the case. And I, I think that they should do it because this is my hometown, Cork. I'm very proud of Cork. It's personal to me and I feel very upset by this, especially because of my son. Yeah, um, so we will be protesting the hotel and you know, making awareness for the people entering the hotel about Barbara O'Neill. Fiona, thank you for your time. Thank you, PJ. Thanks a million. Fiona, thank you, Fiona Pettit O'Leary. Uh, make your own choice. If you are intending to go to see uh, Barbara O'Neill this week, that is entirely your choice. It's entirely your choice to spend money at the door of that event or book in advance. Um, you are entitled to do so. But bear in mind the things that are being said and the fact that she is banned from practice in her own home country. Thank you, Fiona. We'll watch that one. Um, 0818969696. I love to continue conversations that start out of something that I say. I happened to notice last week there was a, a discussion, uh, but with a doctor who had recently become a mum who was shocked and horrified at the cost of a baby formula and even more shocked and horrified at the fact that no special offers, vouchers, etc., etc., can be used against uh, baby formula, plus the fact that the stuff is skyrocketing in price. We were talking about that last week. And then the reason why the vouchers don't apply, one of them is that the World Health Organization deems breastfeeding to be better for a new baby. And therefore, they would like women, new mothers, to consider breastfeeding as a first option for all of their children. And that's the WHO can recommend that all day long. But when pe- people were saying, well, why should that get into purchasing policy? Why should that be entitled to affect my powers of purchase as a consumer? I can choose to spend my money in my own way. That discussion grew legs over a few days last week. Then I got a call from, or a, a, an email rather, from Catherine, which kind of threw the cat among the pigeons a little bit. She said, how are we to encourage new moms to breastfeed the next generation if they are constantly bombarded with ads for formula while growing up? Bottle feeding, okay, bottle feeding, says Catherine, is not normal, nor should it be promoted as such. Formula is produced from a substance intended for a different species to us. Why choose to feed your precious baby something meant for a calf. That was the gist of Catherine's email last week. Rachel, good morning. 
Good morning, PJ, and welcome back. We missed you the last few days. Thank you. Catherine, push um, your buttons. Yeah, I suppose, and I listened to the, the caller afterwards who um, also was saying, you know, that obviously it, she wasn't able to Lisa. produce yeah. enough breast milk. Um, and I suppose between the two, it hit a nerve. I suppose I'm a mom of three. Um, and I suppose when I was expecting my first, it was all about breastfeeding. And I suppose I did what every other mother would try to do. And I tried it in the hospital. I went home with my beautiful baby three days later and I continued to try it. I had the public health nurse telling me it was the only thing, the only option was to breastfeed and that I wasn't even to consider a bottle. And um, and I suppose as a new mom and a young mom, I was that's what I was led to believe. So I tried and I tried and for two weeks I struggled and she struggled and um, I kind of thought this can't be normal. This can't be right for, for me to be feeling this way. So the public health nurse was insistent that I was breastfeeding and that was it. Um, and I, re- I remember ringing the hospitals, crying down the phone saying, Hold on, Rachel. The I public, can't. The public health nurse was insistent. In- was insistent. She would not. I said I had a steriliser in a box. Absolutely not. I said I can get pre-made formula, I anything, just to see if I could satisfy my child. She was up. She wouldn't sleep. She wouldn't settle for long periods of time. I was exhausted. Um, and I said, I have to do something. She's not satisfied on what I'm giving her. And wasn't and that she wouldn't worry? She, like, like, look, there was nothing to stop you or anybody else belonging to you, going down to a shop, a supermarket Absolutely. and buying formula, but she was terrorising uh, you out of it, she felt. Yeah, she kept saying to me, no, it'll all kick in, don't worry, you know, nothing will happen to your baby, it's all normal, you know, you just need to relax, you're a new mom, um, you know, the milk will all kick in, you'll be fine. And, of course, as a, as a new mom, a first mo- first-time mom, that's what I believed. Um, but I remember at around two and a half weeks, literally being at my wit's end one night, handing the child to my husband saying, please take her because she won't settle for me. I don't have anything for her. Take her because I will throw her out a window. I cannot cope anymore. And you couldn't satisfy he settled her. her. I couldn't satisfy her. He literally took her, settled her. She settled for him. He, she went to sleep. He went to sleep. And I remember being up crying, going, this is not normal. And I rang the hospital the following morning. I spoke to the breastfeeding nurse that was there. And I said to her, and I cried down the phone to her. And she said, stop what you're doing. Off the phone from me now, she said, get your baby, go to your local supermarket, get pre-made formula, give the child a bottle. Mm-hmm. And and she said, go for the next 24 hours, express everything that you're producing and I will ring you tomorrow. But she said, do not. She said, if you want to give her what you're expressing, that's fine. But she said, settle the child, settle yourself and I'll call you tomorrow. I said, that's fine. And I she called me the following day. In that 24 hours, all that my body produced was two ounces of milk. Right. So my child had spent two weeks Starving, basically, because I had nothing for her. And I thought, thankfully, I had met a nurse who was the breastfeeding specialist and who was the person who was supposed to be telling me only breastfeed. 
But she understood and had compassion and she said, stop, this isn't right. There's something not right here. So express and see what, what you're producing and see. And I will, I, I will ring you tomorrow. And when I rang her back, she said, that's not enough. She said, your body isn't producing milk. So she said, have your bottle. She said, if she wants the two ounces that you're producing, by all means, give it to her. But she said, she's not getting enough, you know. So she said, your body just isn't producing it. So she said, and that's okay. She said, you know, the bottle milk is okay too. She said, if it wasn't okay, then it wouldn't be sold. Mm-hmm. You know, she said, there is nothing wrong with your child having bottle bottles, you know. So I just kind of felt that, you know, not everybody can breastfeed. It's not natural for everybody to be able to breastfeed. There's physical reasons women can't breastfeed. There's mental health reasons people can't breastfeed. And I think there needs to be less judgment there. Mm. Um, and people need to be able to be given that option that, you know what, mum, there's two options for feeding. You can go with your breastfeeding or you can also go with, with bottle feeding. But don't keep pressurising because even when I was in with subsequent children and I had chosen... My second child, I was very unwell for, so I couldn't breastfeed. My third child, when I went in, I chose to breastfeed. But every chance I found, every chance on the ward, the midwife said, would you not just try and and breastfeed? Would you not just try it? You know, before you give the battle, try the breastfeed, try the breastfeed. And I thought, no, I'm happy. I'm not going through that again. I'm happy to bottle feed. I'm shocked at the level of, and I have to say this, uh, Rachel, um, you know, mm. when we start a conversation like this, it becomes a learning experience for me too. Yeah. The, the amount of pressure that, that women are put under. I'm shocked that you say yeah. in your message to us that you had to pretend to your public health nurse that you were still breastfeeding. That's right. That, now, that, that's horrifying, yeah. Rachel. Yeah, because she kept ringing. And she kept saying, and how are things now? And I said, oh, they're absolutely grand. Yeah, it's all fine. You see, I told you, I told you it would all be fine. I Didn't I tell you it would all kick in? And it's normal, Rachel. It's normal. And I kept saying, okay, yeah, that's grand. Thanks very much. That's lovely. Yeah, you and, were and right. Was it, and, was it that, but, and was it that you just wanted to get rid of her? Because I know for us, I'd be very tempted to say, actually, no, you were entirely wrong. Go away and leave me alone. Yeah, I think I probably got to the point where it was easier just yeah. to agree with her so awful. that she didn't. That's yeah, awful. absolutely. Um, it was easier just to say, yeah, absolutely, you're dead That's right. Awful. And she's all grand now and she's much more settled and she's fine. And like, there's no difference in any of my children, whether they were breastfed or bottle fed. Mm. They're all good children. They're all well behaved. They all have their moments, yeah. you know, but they're all healthy and they're, you know, so... I think mums need to go easier on themselves and mums need to make a decision and decide, you know what, I'm going to do this because it suits me. It suits my situation. It suits my life. It's easier, you know. There's simple logic in it, Rachel, that, you know, um, if you're not at your best, you can't give of your best for this new little person that needs you at your best. Absolutely. And, and as I say, not everybody can breastfeed. Not everybody can produce milk. You know, people were saying, oh, if you stop, you know, you'll be full of milk. You're going to be in an awful pain. You're going to get mastitis. You're going to get this, that and the other. There was no issue because I wasn't producing the milk to get any of those symptoms. As, as my, 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 my parents might call those old pishogs. Yes, Nonsense. exactly. You know, Nonsense. And, yeah, my body well, I didn't have it to cause a problem. So 
I think people need to understand that and not to be so judgmental on others. Not everybody's body is the same. You know, I've had friends, I've had sisters, sister-in-laws, they've breastfed. It's been wonderful. They've had a great experience, but not everybody has that experience. So just be nice to people and be kind. You know, it's, you know. Thank thank you. Thank you very much. I am, I'm actually cross for you. Mm. I'm quite angry for you at the attitude of that PHN. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle. And because when it's your first, you're trying to do everything right. You don't want a mother's guilt. Mothers have guilt for everything, but you don't want that. But at the same time, you need people to support you in your decision in the hope that you are making the right decision and not, you know, give you all your options and allow you to choose as opposed to going down one route and one route only and having that additional pressure on you when you've enough stress going on trying to figure out this little life that you've created and trying to figure out their their personality and what they want and trying to get into some sort of a... And moreover, with it being your first, you'd come to that horrible realisation that we all come to with our first. There's no flipping instruction book. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Absolutely, the man, the manual didn't come. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't yeah. download it either. Rachel, thank you very much for that. Thank you, and good luck with everything. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. And if you are that public health nurse, shame on you. Shame on you for treating someone like that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The Temple Street story. Tom says it's very upsetting. And in fairness, Dave Radcar, he wasn't shy about addressing it, saying it was very alarming, but we need immediate action on this one. I need to go and read up on that story because I have been off for a few days and I'm aware of it. Um, but I didn't specifically read up on it over the last day or two, so I need to go and do that. I was more focused because I knew we'd be talking today about Russell Brand. I was more focused on Russell Brand over the last 24, 48 hours. But, uh, but Tom, I do intend to be more au fait with that Temple Street story, which does sound like a very big uh, story and a very dark story too. 0818969696 on Barbara O'Neill. Another Tom also wants to thank us for highlighting the background of the person coming to our city and says everybody should listen to that advice. Well, we can't advise. We can't advise. But what we can do is that we can just say, look, here are the facts and make your own decision based on the facts as we've presented them. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 I'd scroll past this message and missed it, but coming back off the back of nurses and being pushy with people like that, um, this came in. Uh, what in the name of God is going on in CUH? I walked out last night. I had an appointment for eye casualty at 3.45. Arrived at 3 after taking a half day from work. Left at nearly 7. No doctor had seen me. Waiting room was packed. People there since earlier in the day and the nurse is just sitting down chatting. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we have followed since the day it broke the story of before five in Churchfield, and we were happy to learn a week or two ago 
that it was being taken over by the uh, Northside Community Enterprises who would provide a childcare facility there. Um, we understood there was an issue with staff that would be sorted out, we hoped, in the fullness of time. Now we read that Before Five cannot reopen until early 2023. Donna Cambridge, uh, who we first spoke to about this story a few weeks back. Donna, when did you find this out? Good morning. Morning. Uh, PJ, the same as you. We got the email yesterday, um, along with the staff, just to say that it won't be opening this side, and that it'll be opening in 2024. But it's a very vague update. So there's no there's no is it January, or is it September, or is it August? There's nothing. There's absolutely no hope again for all of the kids up in this area. Is there a reason given? Um, yeah, they said that there was structural damage, that they had to go and get um, assessments done and reports done. But my theory on all of that is if that building has been stable for the last 40 years or 50 years and they've been kept up to code up until August of this year when it was meant to reopen... What is the big major issue with it now to say that they have to shut it until next year? Yeah. Reading from the examiner, it quotes Liz Dunphy's cover in the story. Uh, it, it said there's necessary survey work and subsequent maintenance work. Uh, um, they need a project management company to assess it and consultants to assess the condition of the building. Uh, that anything else will need to be addressed uh, under building regulations, fire safety regulations and TUSLA regulations. But before five was operating with the blessing of TUSLA up to the summertime, correct? Yeah, and that's just the thing. Like, they were opening uh, on the 31st of August. Like, there was no issue with any fire codes or any sort of maintenance codes or anything. There was nothing like that in the reports for why, why it shut down first day. Now, all of a sudden, there's so much work that needs to go on over there. It's not going to be open till 2024. But I just want to stress the fact that my child, who is is actually going backwards per the, per the day, can't wait. I cannot wait until then to get him the help that he needs. Just like many families around this area. Yeah. The staff cannot wait to know if they have jobs next year. Jackson is your lad's name, isn't it? Just remind. It is, yeah. yeah. How is he? How's he? How's he dealing with not having a place to go to? Um, you know, no, I want to say that he's brilliant and he's fab and he's a great little boy, which he is all of the above. But because of the ASD, it's a case of he's slipping backwards every single day. So he's gone way into himself. He's he's not improving at all. There's no progress there whatsoever. He's lashing out a lot. There's a lot of temper tantrums. And it's my other little boy, Clayson, is getting the brunt of them, mainly, you know, getting beat around the place because he's so frustrated. Mm. He's freaking out. He doesn't do half of the, the stuff that he used to before. He's just, he's all over the place. And I really genuinely can't blame him because there's no stable routine in his life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he just has to come with me every morning and then he's freaking out when we're dropping the child to school because he wants to go, but he can't. So it's just, it's not viable for me to wait until next year and then maybe after Christmas, maybe have a spot for him. Mm. You know, like it's it's not, it's, it's not capable. I, I can't do that and I shouldn't have to. Like something needs to be done. Surely they can push all of these regulations and push people to come sooner to see this 
and any work that needs to be done. Surely it's not going to take that much time. You're not an engineer, neither am I. But, but I very much doubt they were holding the place up with iron bars, Donna. No, they weren't. And the thing is, uh, the staff members I was talking to, they actually said that they had all new fire doors and everything put in uh, about two or three years ago. So, like, it wasn't a major fire code back then. It wasn't a major fire code in August. Why is it such a big deal now? Interesting. You know, yeah. and even I, I, even if they say that they have to do this work, that's fine. I want my, my boy to go into a safe place. Of course but can you please push it so that maybe after the midterm, you know, November, maybe we could get the kids in there then so they're not missing a whole three months of school? Well, when you say that the letter that you've got or the communication you have says 2024 and doesn't say when in 2024, that rings a very loud alarm bell in my mind. It does because it's 12 months. Like, didn't give a date. They didn't say, right, guys, we'll be coming straight back after Christmas. We'll be opening the doors in January. Nothing. They've nothing. They've just said 2024, so they can't be held to any date. That's worrying. Donna, we'll keep in touch uh, with the parents um, from before five. And if anybody from the new providers would be willing to speak with us, then we'd love to ask a couple of questions about all of this. Thank you. 0818 96 96 Lastly, and very, bre- very briefly, I wonder what happened here. This is Shania Twain in concert. What happened Come here? Come on over. What happened there? Come on over. Come on. Oh, Crossy, of course you were. You were there. What happened, right. mate? It was so, so good. I'll tell you really quickly. A little girl called Mia, seven years of age, front row of the Shania Twain concert with her mom. Shania kept seeing her and going, I need to get you up on stage. I keep on looking at you. Seven years of age. What's your favorite song? And she gets a song from the back catalogue. And she's Come from Cork. Over. She's from Cork as well. Her name is Mia from Cork, travelled up with her mammy yesterday, and it was amazing. Like, it was incredible. Such a great gig. Was it? Because I, 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 I heard she was on, and I thought, damn, I'd, gone, I'd got tickets if I'd known she was on. Um, um, big, big thing for you tonight. If you are heading to the Three Arena to see her for the second sold-out night, please, please, please be there before quarter past eight. She's on stage at half eight, and something wild that I have not seen happen at a gig in a long, long time happens, what she does. So be there for half oh, Really? Oh, it's incredible. I don't want to ruin it on you, but it's really, really cool. All right, okay. So, and, and a great gig. And as always, Crossy is... The, do, do you ever go home? <laughs> uh, I'll sleep someday. <laughs> hey, check out that video with Mia on your Instagram page in about an hour's time. Uh, We have to find her. Seven years of age, we're told. Mia from Cork. And we have to find Mammy as well um, for the show tomorrow. Wouldn't that be... If we could find out Mia. Mia from Cork had gone up yesterday. um, Seven years of age. Huge Shania Twain fan. Pulled a song from the back catalogue. And they did it together on stage. We need to know who this Mia is. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, and we do, or your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to find her for us and find her mammy for us. We would love to have them on the show. 0818 
96 96 96 if you can help at all. That's it for today. Program edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All your podcasts up ASAP. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.